Crime Family. Welcome back to Bonus Day. Today is me, and you know me, when I have the reins. I generally want to go towards Architect Mayhem. After researching this story, I kind of tucked my tail between my legs and kind of wished I hadn't because this is a rough story. So you fell down the rabbit hole, it sounds like. I did, and it was really hard to find information about it. I probably had to check about 30 different sources to find the general details of the story and some of the specifics that made it make more sense. Okay. And I just do want to warn you, this story is about violence towards a family. So if you're not up to that today, then you might want to put this one off a while. So you're pulling a Bailey today. I am really awful, it sounds like. (laughs) It's a very tough story. Okay. And so I'm just going to kind of jump into it. Mm -hmm. Like I said, this is an architect mayhem. It's a little bit different from some of the other architect mayhems I've done, and I'll explain kind of at the end why I'm saying that. But Joshua Law was born in 1974. He attended Our Lady of Lords Catholic High School in Guelph, Ontario. He was a track star. He won medals in the 400 meter and 800 meter events all through high school. He graduated in 1990. He had an excellent education. He was valedictorian of his school. He was well liked and he was, a, like I said, a really talented athlete. Mm-hmm. His first passion out of high school was occupational therapy. And initially, that's where he started to go towards that career route. Allison Fisher Law was born in 1973, graduated from McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario in 1997. She was a gifted occupational therapist, and she worked with physically challenged preschool children. Okay. Joshua had met Allison while both of them pursued the passion of occupational therapy in Guelph, Ontario. Mm -hmm. Joshua and Allison were known to be upbeat, kind, friendly, giving, thoughtful, caring, and genuine. Mm -hmm. They glowed in the presence of one another. They obviously loved and respected each other. They shared their love of occupational therapy, and they wed in the year 2000. In 2002, they moved from Ontario to Calgary. After the move to Calgary, Joshua decided to use his understanding of physical disabilities and accommodations to study and become an architect focusing on accessibility and design. And I couldn't find what his undergrad degree was. I assume it was something to do with occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. But generally in architecture, you can pursue whatever you want in your undergrad, but you have to go back and get a master's degree then if you want to pursue licensure. As you'll see, he was doing that. I'm just explaining that I don't have information about his undergrad, but I think that's why. Okay. Joshua and Allison had a growing family. Their daughter, Kirsten, was almost six. Their daughter, Rochelle, was almost four. And their youngest daughter, Anna, was one. Mm -hmm. Kirsten and Rochelle were described as sparkly, silly, precious, close with family. Spoke often and lovingly of their grandparents that they would get excited to see a few times a year. Kirsten loved soccer and was very sensitive. Rochelle was precocious and always active and into something. Although Allison had not worked since starting on maternity leave with her oldest daughter, she had been preparing to return to work now that her youngest child was a year old. After the birth of Anna, Joshua would bring her into the office to take her around to show her off to everybody. By all accounts, Joshua was a devoted husband and a really proud father. The family typically spent summers or part of summers at a cottage in the Okanagan area in British Columbia and had plans to do it again in the summer of 2008. They also had spent a weekend with the family of Jennifer Klein in Edmonton during the first week of May 2008. And they seemed solid, happy, 
not even a spat or a temper flare-up. Jennifer, who had been one of Allison's bridesmaids, knew them well enough to have seen any cracks in the relationships. Outside the family, Mm -hmm. Amber Bowerman, age 30, was a journalist that was renting the family's basement suite. She was a well-known Calgary writer and was a mentor to young journalists, as well as freelancing for several magazines. She had rented and moved into the basement suite of the Law House because she knew the family. She was described as happy and cheerful, dependable, positive, and just a fabulous person. She had told friends that the basement suite was a nice place to live with a nice, normal family. Mm-hmm. Joshua had been working full-time at the 200-person architecture firm Kohas Evami for four and a half years. The job, like most architecture jobs, was a very high-pressure one. It was always deadline-driven. He was a valued employee, respected by his peers, known to work hard. He helped wherever he was needed, had a pleasant personality, and didn't complain about the heavy workload. He was also pursuing a master's degree in architecture and environmental design at the University of Calgary. His thesis supervisor, Lorraine Fallow, worked closely with him and found him to be cheerful, pleasant, and sunny even during stressful times. He focused his passion for working with the disabled as his specialty, universal design, which is design that can be used by anybody regardless of any physical challenges they have. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., they call that the accessibility code. Yeah, I was going to say just like making sure ramps and stuff are available for people who... Yes. You can't use stairs. And <laughs> right. There's actually a lot of factors involved with it, oh, but sure. that's kind of the most obvious one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Joshua had just finished a project to improve the accessibility of Calgary's municipal building and had been part of a team on a very high-profile Calgary development. Like I said, he was hardworking. He was very good at his job. He was very well-respected, and he had found a real marriage between his passion for occupational therapy and barrier-free design in becoming an architect. Mm-hmm. Those two things were just perfect to have both of those interests together. I was going to say, what a weird, specific colliding but, of worlds that is. But for like, him, yeah. it would be almost a natural thing. I understand mm-hmm. what people who have physical problems or disabilities need. Mm-hmm. As an architect, I already know what they need, and so I can go beyond what the code requires me to do. Right. And I can just make this building really beyond accessible, mm-hmm. make it open to them in every possible way. Right. And I was just thinking, saying like what a niche specialty because a lot of people that doesn't I don't know it just well most people wouldn't ever realize that it was even you wouldn't think about it yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Joshua was also studying for the examination for architects in Canada which is a very challenging and intense series of exams that test the knowledge of intern architects prior to giving them an architecture license after which they would be able to practice this is administered by the Royal Architectural Institute of Canada and typically has a pass rate of just below 87 percent So it's a very hard exam and there's a lot of stress and a huge volume of subject matter that's necessary to be able to pass it. Mm -hmm. What I mentioned before about he was studying for his master's degree, he had already been interning for four and a half years. You have to intern for a certain number of years before you can take the exam. He also has to finish his master's before he can take the exam. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he finishes his master's, he wants to be eligible to take the exam and he wants to get it out of the way as soon as possible. So is it kind of like a residency program for like a doctor kind of yeah like they have to do that and then yeah you have to you have to work under other architects for a certain period of time Mm -hmm. but he also had to have this educational component and as soon as he finishes his thesis he wants to sit for the exams makes sense so he's studying now for the exams so that as soon as he's eligible he can go take them Mm mm-hmm 
every architect who is studying for their licensing exam, regardless of country, is just under a huge amount of pressure. I was studying for mine in my late 30s, early 40s, Mm -hmm. having been a single mom for over a decade. And even with you being in junior high and being able to do most things for yourself Mm -hmm. and understanding that I needed to study a lot, it was really, really hard. Yeah. And I remember that used to be our bonding time for a little while there was just me reading the flashcards. <laughs> I forgot about the flashcards. We had the flashcards. We just lay in your bed and I'd quiz you. I had completely forgotten about those. Just just in case anybody ever questioned if we've always been close. <laughs> we just... <laughs> I, I passed my exam because my little girl read All because of me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not the same exam in Canada as it is in the U.S., but it's the same material. Yeah. So I know that anybody that's taking that exam is under the same pressure that I was to pass it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just to please your employer, but you've worked for so long and so hard. And without a license, you feel like, what validation do I have of my abilities? Even if your employer doesn't care if you never pass it, you start feeling like this is something that you need to accomplish for your own edification. In other words, it's a really important moment in the life of a young architect, and it's impossible not to have anxiety about it. Sure. Joshua's colleagues at Kohas Evamy were really fond of him. They said they loved working with him. He spoke often about his family. He always found time for people who needed or wanted to talk. He was kind and he was caring and they just loved him. Mm-hmm. When Joshua left work on Friday night, May 23rd, 2008, he just wanted to take Allison out to dinner at a nice restaurant and celebrate their eighth anniversary. He seemed really happy and excited. He asked his boss at Kohas Evamy for some suggestions of really good restaurants to take Allison for the celebration. On Monday morning, May 26th, Joshua called in sick. And then on Tuesday morning, he called the HR department of the firm requesting the rest of the week off. Allison sent an email to the family's babysitter in the afternoon of May 26th, and that alluded to Joshua's exhaustion and pressure. She said that her husband had not been sleeping and that work and life had just been very stressful. Mm -hmm. On Tuesday evening, May 27th, 2008, Amber Bowerman, remember the journalist who's running the basement, was having a relaxing night cooking dinner, just drinking wine. She heard a noise and she went to open the door. She opened it. As soon as she did, she was instantly attacked. It was quick and brutal and she didn't have any time to react at all. She was not in any position to fight. She had zero defensive wounds. So she was just completely blindsided. Was it like a gun? Well, what must she have thought when she realized it was her landlord that was coming after her with a knife? Mm. Joshua Law had caught her completely off guard and he killed her with multiple stab wounds. He left her body and went back up the stairs. Joshua found his family upstairs in the main bedroom and approached Allison, Kirsten, and Rochelle. He stabbed each of them with the same knife he'd used to kill Amber. Allison was covered with defensive wounds that indicated she had placed herself between Joshua and her daughters, trying with everything that she had to protect them and fighting like hell for their lives. They were found where they had fallen, huddled together in the corner of the room. He then went into his third daughter Anna's room and next to the crib she was asleep in, he took his own life. All five of them had died from multiple stab wounds from the same knife. Anna remained unharmed. That poor baby. Joshua wasn't missed at work the next morning after the murders because he had already requested to take the rest of that week off. As Anna's diaper got full and her stomach got empty, Anna started crying incessantly and it could be heard outside of the house. A family friend 
regularly stopped at the house in the morning to pick up Kirsten for kindergarten at the local community center, and she followed that typical routine the Wednesday morning after the murders. Upon reaching the house, they heard the cries of Anna, but no one answered the door. The friend entered the home to get Kirsten off to school and then discovered the bodies of the two children and the adults inside and called 911. Holy shit. Toxicology reports ruled out drugs or alcohol, and Calgary media widely speculated that Joshua was struggling with mental illness. Joshua's father, Dominic, revealed that Joshua had called his parents a few days before the tragedy to say he was suffering some sort of mental breakdown and something was wrong. Mm -hmm. Dominic and his wife had already purchased a flight from their home in Ontario to Alberta to see what was going on, to see how they could help but they received news of the deaths before they could get there. Other media reports suggested Joshua Law had been hearing voices and believed that he was possessed by the devil. There was no record of any previous calls to police or EMS from the house. No one had ever suspected any domestic violence issues within the family. Those who knew the Laws said they had seen no signs of trouble, no strange behavior, nothing that would have tipped them off that such a horrific tragedy was even conceivable. A note was left on the family's obituary that read, I worked with Joshua at Kohas Evami for two and a half years. He was always so happy, so caring, so loving. He always spoke of his beautiful wife, Allison, and his wonderful girls. I remember how happy and excited he was when Allison was pregnant with Anna, and how he glowed every time anyone asked him about the pregnancy, the birth, his family. He always had time for you if you needed to talk, and would always try to help you with advice if you had a problem. I met Allison a couple of times, but she was very upbeat and happy. She glowed beside Joshua. I know that what happened was not Joshua, and I will always remember him as the kind and caring person that we all know he was. My most heartfelt wishes go out to you all. They will all be sadly missed and fondly remembered. This tragedy hit Ontario like a bomb. Mm, sure. It just touched everyone. It touched all the families. Everyone grieved the loss of this family, mm-hmm. whether they knew them or not. Because they were every family. They seemed so yeah. normal and so loving and so devoted to each other. And then this happened. And just out of nowhere. This crime and crime scene broke the first responders. And it just left horrific images burned in their memory. All of the death and destruction and injury and pain they see, they see it all the time. But they weren't prepared for these little girls. Tiny babies, yeah. Ugh. These first responders credit the support of their departments and colleagues with being able to get help and counseling and continue working. But the images burned into the minds of the children will still haunt them and probably always haunt them. Mm -hmm. Joshua's family issued a public statement saying, We may never know for sure what caused this tragedy. We do know that Joshua's life record is one of love and devotion to his wife and family. The consensus is that Joshua apparently suffered from an undiagnosed mental condition, Mm -hmm. but it almost certainly was more than that. There are mental illnesses that have only minor effects on a person's life. There are mental illnesses that have catastrophic effects on a person's life. But even the most minor mental disorder under the unimaginable stress of any one person trying to juggle all of these things, Mm -hmm. two small children and an infant, working full-time at a really high-pressure job, finishing his master's thesis, and studying for his architecture licensing exams, all of this on top of each other. This unfathomable combination of stressors might very well have been the reason 
for the mental breakdown that he described his father. Mm-hmm. Stress can cause insomnia, anxiety, heart palpitations. Extreme stress in conjunction with lack of sleep has been known to cause hallucinations. Extreme stress and anxiety can cause a person to feel disconnected from their body, which might make them feel like they're going insane. Mm-hmm. It's a sad irony that Joshua and Allison's passion was for occupational therapy. I looked a little bit into this because I didn't know that much about occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. Occupational therapy actually has roots in mental health care. Really? And most occupational therapists provide some aspects of mental health treatment and prevention services as part of their overall holistic program to help their patients build skill sets, understand and adapt to their own particular challenges. The basis is that the patient and therapist relationship should be fully open without any stigma so that the patient is able to share and willing to share mental health problems in a non-judgmental setting. And then the therapist can focus on helping to identify and adapt how this person needs to handle these things. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it makes sense if you're, you know, seeing an occupational therapist, usually it's after a major something has gone wrong in your life and you're adjusting to the new reality. So, I mean, Yeah, sure. and it's more than just people who have had accidents or strokes or things like that. Mm-hmm. Some people are born with yeah. cerebral palsy and they, they have lifelong challenges of trying to adapt and being able to participate in things and figuring out how to get through a, a daily routine and things like that. I mean, even eating with a spoon is hard. Yeah. Things like that. So, yeah, it's just... The thing that they loved was a program that might actually have been able to see the tragedy coming, except they were providers rather than patients. Mm-hmm. This story is just so devastating. Mm-hmm. Most of my Architect Mayhem stories focus on the architect just being a bad person and causing some terrible damage. I'm afraid in this one, I honestly believe Joshua was brilliant, good, and loved his family. I think he was so used to his whole life being smart enough to do whatever he wanted or needed to accomplish. He thought he could do everything, but nobody can do everything at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that his pursuit of so many really difficult endeavors at the same time just made him snap. It's burnout. Yeah, you can't. And I think that's what caused this. Mm -hmm. It was that even if he was only stressed, he was stressed in such a catastrophic way that he just cracked. It broke him, and he just lost it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like this was Joshua doing this. You know what I right. mean? And nobody that knew him could yeah. understand how how the Joshua they knew could do this. Mm-hmm. And I have to agree with them. I mean, everything I read about him, he was a great guy. Mm-hmm. But architecture is a demanding mistress, yeah. and I think architecture is what killed that family. And if that isn't architect mayhem, then I don't know what the hell is. I could not find anything that gave his story, their story. I couldn't find... If there was a podcast out there that has covered the Lal family, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find any media stories that gave a real timeline of what happened. So I had to dig really hard to find Mm -hmm. enough information to put this together. Yeah, but... And it was heartbreaking. I just felt brokenhearted the whole time I was doing this. And the more information I found, the more clear to me it was what happened. Well, do you have any idea what happened to Anna? Is she with his family? Anna was taken in by an immediate relative, they said. They did not give who. She was one in 2008. I was going to say, at the very least, she, she doesn't remember. 
Like, and you know. she lost her entire family. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that he didn't hurt her. He must have gotten in her room and looked at her and said, Holy shit, this is a baby. I think he just lost his mind. Well, that's what I'm saying is like, and if you think, if you're like not in the right headspace and you're killing people and then you just walk in and there's your baby, that might be a moment where it snaps you back into reality for a second. Like, what am I doing? What have I, I done? Yeah, that's... There's no uplifting component to this story. This is why I'm slamming it to you on a bonus episode, because you can... <sighs> well, I'm really glad you did it on a bonus episode, because I don't have any story in my in my wheelhouse that can make that a happy end. <laughs> just... No, it's... Wow. It's just devastating. And, and it was 2008? I can't believe... I've never heard of it. I I've... honestly had never heard of it either, and when I was looking for information on the Marky Rossick story... Oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. I ended up on an architecture forum and somebody was talking about Mark Urosik there and someone commented on that post and said, man, that's terrible, but you must not have ever heard of Joshua Law. And so that's when I started looking for it. And honestly, I've had this kind of in a Word document for a couple of months and I just haven't been able to face it because it was just so awful. So yeah, it you took really me... do have to just work up the courage to even look into some of these stories because... Because it just, it's... It's even worse, I feel like, when it's like you said, he was a good person. So you don't even hate the person who did this because you kind of understand not in like anybody obviously deserved to die at any means, but... Well, it is a mental health issue, but I just don't think he was mentally ill based on what people knew about him. Well, you could be mentally ill and just not showing symptoms for sure. I don't think that what he said to his dad was... An organic mental illness. I think it was stress-related. Mm-hmm. Based on all of the stuff he had put on himself, it was unachievable. It was insurmountable, the stress that he had put on himself. Mm-hmm. And he was so used to being able to just do the things he needed to do. Mm-hmm. You know how I get. I think I can do anything. Okay, don't tell me that after you just told this fucking story. About but you know what I mean. <laughs> I know, yeah. He's me mm-hmm. times four different things and I I just I it seems so clear to me I get it mm-hmm. I get it and I I it hurts me for him and it hurts me for his family yeah and his surviving family I wonder why he killed the journalist as well just I, because she was on the property maybe she was playing music too loud and he was trying to study yeah True. So, you know, so that's true because he killed her first and then went up back He upstairs. might have snapped because he was trying to study. Mm-hmm. And he's like, shut the fucking music off. You know, and maybe he lost it and then. And once you go into a fury. And the rage just took you him You throw over. the first punch and see the rest of them just come with it. That's yeah. just, I've she been was, there. <laughs> she was the first one. She was the last one they found because she was in the basement, but she was the first one that was yeah. killed. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, I'm really sorry. I know this was a hard one. I felt it was important, and I literally haven't heard anyone else talk about this case. And I think people should understand, he was not a monster. Mm -hmm. He just couldn't handle all of the shit that was raining down on him, and he lost it. You don't have to be a monster to do shitty things, you know? Sometimes good people do shitty things, and even they don't know why. Yeah. I know I'm not a mental health professional, but I just think he snapped. I think when he realized what had happened, Mm -hmm. 
He just decided, I can't do this to my baby. Well, yeah, what I'm would you ever do after take that? Take my own life, I can't. So that's the end of that. And I my know. heart hurts, and it will for a long time. It's funny, because you told me right before we started recording this, well, make sure you put a little whiskey in that juice. Now and I really why. wish I had. <laughs> yeah, I don't make idle recommendations like that. Oh, she never recommends, oh, you should have a little whiskey, baby. <laughs> she never says that. All right, I do say that. Oh. But this time I meant. Okay. If you want to end it on a good note, I we, do. today we learned that cocoa butter is not poisonous to cats. It is not the same thing as chocolate. We now know. <laughs> so we will be cocoa buttering pussy. That sounds so filthy. <laughs> Okay. Also, cocoa butter is vegan. It's not real butter. I know it's not real butter. Today on Cocoa Butter Facts with Beth and Bailey. (laughs) Cocoa butter you don't get addicted to. There's a lot to edit out. I guess I'm not in the mood for funny. So Bailey can't fucking win here. Bye, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I told you we needed whiskey. No, we do need a whiskey. Right now. Ooh, okay. All right. Let's say our goodbyes. So that I can stop recording because we're just... <laughs> <laughs> it started out at 32 minutes and now we're at 48. At, at least it's not like the old days where it's on tape. Or rewind with like a little back of a pencil. Mm-hmm. Imagine doing this on cassette tapes. Jesus Christ, I'd rather just... You know what? Performing is not for me. That's why podcasts didn't start until the digital age. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Today broke me a little bit and I hope that you're all right. Sometimes even I'm going to leave you in the dumps a little bit. I love you. I hope you'll take care of yourselves. And come back on Friday, where hopefully we'll have at least one good story. Do something to take some stress off yourself today. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, go get a pedicure or a massage or just lay in the pool. Or just do something nice for yourself. Download a coloring game on your iPad. Uh, that's my personal favorite. People just try to go, 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 go all the time. And yeah. self-care matters. It makes a difference. Life is not all about how much shit can you get done. Life is about enjoying the moment that you're in also. Mm-hmm. So please enjoy the moment you're in. We love you. Thank you for joining us today. And we will talk to you again soon. All right. Take it away, puss. Bye. Bye. Thank you, that helps. Oh, good. <sighs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too, I have one. <clears throat> That's because you're drinking fizzy stuff. And, 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 and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> How you dare so. you tell the story on Father's Day? Fuck's <laughs> sake, Mom. <laughs> Christ, I didn't even know. I didn't even Dad's going to hear about this when I call him. It's not. I didn't even <laughs> think about the date. I didn't even think about today. Oh, my God. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to try this one more time. Okay. All right, let me try that sentence again with, like, words. No, I think we should leave that. That was good. <laughs> and that's all the end. No. <laughs> Puss. It's right. going to be so soft. We are so editing that out. Gross. And that's a lot, like, ten minutes of bullshit here at the end. Well, you should have just had the cat come and lick your face. She would do it. That would cause pain and maybe bleeding. She's the best exfoliator out there. I don't know what to tell you. She really is. And she's free. Where's oh, the whiskey? Awesome. Where's the whiskey? I was going to say, is the barrel store even open on Sunday? You answered that awful fast. <laughs> you know, one of us will be suffering through this editing session, so. You don't remember the pussy hat from the Me Too movement? Flip off to the patriarchy. Oh, I see, I see.